either load them for their spotting the next day. I don't know. It's a it's a big conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm fortunate enough to be like, all right, nutrition team, if they're behind, you guys lead it. Tell me what to do and I'll change it in my program. And then if it's a more of a performance athlete where they don't have to cut as much, let's say they're really close to the uh, weight class weight, then it could be like, all right, I kind of got the, the green light and I can do whatever I need to to improve that performance a little bit. When mixed martial arts first started, it was really much like that. Like, let's see what the wrestler does against the striker. And that's how this whole thing kind of got started. I feel like we're having this younger generation come in where they actually are true mixed martial artists. Mm -hmm. They Maybe they did wrestle in high school as a sport, but they were doing it, you know, Muay Thai classes at the end of school every day as well or something like that. So we're getting these more well-rounded martial artists coming in. So obviously you've got a very coveted role. So if you just give us a little rundown on who you are, your journey and how you got to the position you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Rebecca Summers, um, formerly known as uh, Becky Smith. I uh, kind of been one of those athletes all all my life. I figure that's how most SNC coaches are. Um, I played softball at the uh, University of Texas El Paso. Um, after playing softball, I got to intern with our uh, strength and conditioning program there. Got to be a GA. Was there for two years. Then over the summer, before I was able to find a full time position, I was over at Sac State in California. And then from there, I was able to get this part-time position at Western Oregon University, um, made it into a full-time position, was there for about five years where I feel like I grew a lot of my coaching skills. Um, after that, decided to transfer over to the private sector. Um, at that point, I've kind of found MMA and, and the amazing sport and complex sport that it is. Um, was kind of working with some fighters out in Florida at uh, D1 sports training. And then uh, decided to go back and get my master's. And from there, I was able to get an internship at the UFC Performance Institute, um, was able to stay on throughout the fall. We had some turnover, and then I was kind of able to creep on as a full-time. Um, so I've been here for about uh, two and a half years now. Nice. How, how have you found the transition from like collegiate type settings, private facilities, and now sort of a performance center? Yeah, I honestly think it, it really helped. Uh, bridge that gap like being in the team setting it's it's a very different setting and then you go to like a one-on-one -on -one and you know um, at first it was a really challenge for me because you know you're so used to looking at you know 30 different people their technique yelling across the room of what they need to fix um, in a sense just making sure everything's running smoothly um, and then you go into this one-on-one -on -one type of training and you're like whoa I got all this time to really dial in people's technique, you know, try not to let my mind wander as I'm, I'm coaching them. Um, but I found that actually a big challenge for, for me mentally, not having so much going on. Um, and then now transitioning to the UFC, it is a one-on-one. -on -one. We do one-on-one -on -one training. Sometimes it could be up to three different athletes at the same time, but in a sense, it's an individualized training program. So now I can take my, my, my team setting skills where I'm working with multiple different athletes and how I might manage a weight room like that. Um, and then I can take the private sector coaching skills and how I get so detailed into a movement and so specific that what I need from them. Um, so from that essence, it was a really nice transition. I would say the hardest one is, is the programming. Um, I might have like five or six teams in the collegiate setting. And, you know, even though you have 30 athletes at a time, it's still just five programs in a sense. 
But here I have, let's say, 15 local athletes and it's 15 individualized programs. And again, time managing that and learning your systems on how you program uh, was pretty challenging at first. And then you start to find your flow after a while. Yeah. How have you sort of developed your sort of program structures and different sort of philosophies and methods to suit each and each different athlete that comes through? Yeah. I mean, uh, Gavin Pratt, our director here, he does a great job of, of making sure that we have systems in place so that when we do get information and data, it makes program decision-making quite simple. Um, and you know, that could be as simple as, you know, just S and C make sure they're strong enough first before they move on to anything else. And if I can't tick that box, well, then I get to really play with this athlete and they get to build strength in this way, um, versus an athlete who is strong enough right now, they can transition over here. Um, and then as far as like our system, we just make sure that we're kind of following that. And then we look more into the details of maybe specific exercise selections based on their strategy of how they jump based on whether it's a lower body, upper body strength deficiency or whatever it may be. So it's a lot of information, but having that system that, that Gavin's kind of created really helps us to be like, okay, yes, no, plug in, no, yes, plug in. And then mm. you can kind of take it from there. So, um, uh, our sports science team, Roman Foman, they have, you know, ESD testing as well, energy system development testing. And that can really help, again, pinpoint what specifically a fighter needs to improve upon. And then, again, that's a plug and play from there. Yeah, how do you sort of test and keep on track of every athlete that comes through? Well, we, we do have our, our front desk, our operations team. They do a great job of making sure that people are scheduled. They're where they need to be at the right time. So we're, we're pretty blessed to have that. Um, but myself, yeah, you just have to create a master sheet of all your athletes. We work local and remote. So obviously when you have, you see your schedule for the day, it's really easy to keep track of your athletes that you're seeing day to day. The remote one I feel like is, is very important to get organized because it can all of a sudden be a whole phase and you realize you haven't heard from them or you haven't reached out or anything like that. So you just got to create a, another system for yourself. Okay. When do I reach out to this athlete? Is it right before their heaviest week of their lifts? Is it right before I create a new cycle? Is it after the first week of the lift to make sure everything's going on? And again, when you're thinking about 10 to 15 different athletes remotely, that can get pretty confusing again, when they start different programs at different times where they need to be. So for myself right now, I just kind of created an Excel sheet and, you know, I have my active and non-active fighters. And then I kind of have an idea of when their programs start, when their programs end. Um, not quite a annual, uh, template because they can fight in three weeks and mm. that whole annual template, template is, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That whole template is out the door. So instead we kind of have like a, a end picture. So again, if they're force deficient, my end picture is to increase that. So they're not force deficient. That's my end goal. And then I make sure that again, my programming kind of follows that. And then hopefully I can get them back to the PI or hopefully I can have them do some some tests while they're back at home to say, yeah, cool, we took some boxes, now we can progress to here. So end result in mind, active, non-active, knowing when their cycles are kind of up. And, you know, I think each one of us SNC coaches probably have a different way we do that, but in the sense that's how we try to do it. With the sort of different athletes that come in, obviously – because it's MMA, they'll have specialities. So like it could be kickboxing or Mai, Mai Thai or how do you sort of take these strengths from these athletes and create a program to then better develop them? 
Yeah, I mean, that's something that we're, we're still learning how to do. Um, I think when mixed martial arts first started, it was really much like that. Like, let's see what the wrestler does against the striker. And that's how this whole thing kind of got started. I feel like we're having this younger generation come in where they actually are true mixed martial artists. They Maybe they did wrestle in high school as a sport, but they were doing it, you know, Muay Thai classes at the end of school every day as well or something like that. So we're getting these more well-rounded martial artists coming in. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at different strength classifications. So that might be an isometric strength, uh, slow dynamic strength, fast dynamic strength, and reactive strength. And then mm. we have like another isometric, which would be like your explosive. Like what can you do at 150 milliseconds? What's the force you produce? Um, so we're kind of looking at all those different strength classifications and we're trying to break down, okay, out of that, what relates to wrestling, what relates to striking, what relates to grappling. Um, and we're trying to break it down from like, okay, maybe you're looking at things at an absolute sense, right? What's your peak hmm. force? Or we should definitely look at things in a relative sense because it's a weight class sport. So even if you pulled, you know, 3000 uh, Newtons of force on your isometric mid thigh pull, but you're sitting a little heavy right now for your weight class, your relative score is actually going to be below average. Mm -hmm. And so it brings a whole nother piece into, okay, though we are working on strength, we have to make sure that making weight is our priority number one as well. And that's why we like that relative. And then the last component would be looking at things in an endurance or sustainability aspect. So taking the isometric mid thigh pull again, let's say they pulled 3000. Can you take 80% of that and hold it or sustain it throughout an extended period of time? And then if that was the case, would that relate to wrestling, striking, or grappling? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so we got this big picture of, of how all those can kind of connect taking the skills of MMA or the specific, uh, martial arts within MMA and saying, all right, isometric mid thigh pull is important for wrestling versus upper body power or power speed is very important for our, our striking. So we're trying to take all that and bring it into to mm -hmm. one idea. And of course it's a, it's a project that we're working on, but I think at the end of the day, again, MMA is a newish sport. And if we're not doing it, no one else will. So we got to try to make sure we reverse engineer this sport as best we can and figure out and answer those questions more directly in the future. Yeah, with all these sort of considerations with the different types of programming and how you develop it, have you found that because there is a certain lack of research that you are kind of just having to, in a sense, trailblaze your own way into how to effectively program for them? Yeah, I mean, exactly. If if someone, you know, we can't get too far away from the sport of MMA because, again, they could fight in three weeks. You know, they did a return to training phase. We're doing a general preparation phase. And then you think you're going to go into a specific prep phase. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I fight in three weeks. And then you spent too long doing something that was not related to the sport. Um, that's just something we can't do. So, when I think about program and periodization for an athlete who is forced efficient, let's say, I do need to work on those strengths, but I also have to work on everything else. So that conjugate method really, really kind of helps with that a little bit more, um, just to make sure that we have an emphasis of our program, forced efficiency mm -hmm. and improving that. And then we have another tier, okay, we still got to work on power production or repeat power ability or whatever it may be that this fighter needs. 
um, to make sure that if they do get the call, they're still ready and we're not too far away from, from what they need. So yeah, we're, we're still trying to figure it out, but I feel like that's, that's any SNC program, right? When you want to develop something, you're like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. Mm. I'm going to try it with my team or my athlete. And then I'm going to retest at the end of that phase or the end of a couple phases and see if that worked. And then that's, you know, what we're doing here. We're just doing the same things, the same processes, trying to be innovative, trying to use the technology we have to answer those questions. Yeah. And I think like with the, the amount of sort of coaches I've spoken to, everyone sort of has like similar philosophies, but it's like, how have they picked something from like each one and sort of adapted into their program? And it's interesting that you mentioned the conjugate method and how that relates to sort of the quick turnaround for you, for, for you guys. I'm I'd like a triphasic type coach, but I also love the, the rawness and power that comes with like chains or these different types of bands and the more conjugate method type styles. So for me, I always try and create something that's very posterior chained dominant that's and you kind of mentioned before like strength is your base and then you build everything from strength yep. so how have you sort of used conjugate to adapt to your programs and sort of the quick turnarounds as well that it is <clears throat> yeah for sure i mean it's such a hard question because honestly i could say i've i've used triphasic training with some of my athletes as well it just depends on again their training age and kind of where they're at and how I think that can help them and why that specifically will help them versus athlete B over here. Um, but yeah, the, the turnaround could be something as like, again, I just created a phase for a general prep. I was going to do a Zercher squat mixed in with the upper body row, get a good upper and lower body split. So it might be upper, uh, lower body push, upper body pull, and then, you know, might flip that on the other day or so on and so forth. And so, um, before we get into the, the meat and potato of, of the lift, which is the lower body push, upper body pull, it might be something more on the activation side, okay, where we're working on reactive, right, whether that be short contact time or, you know, working on flight time within a, a counter movement jump. We might do something along the lines of like a med ball rotational throw, get the central nervous system going. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, just depending on the athlete, if we have that block and then all of a sudden I know they have a fight, I might just mm. add in just a few more things to kind of add either contrast or anything like that to just sprinkle it in. So if they were doing a Zercher squat in a row, okay, that Zercher squat row, and then I might add something more explosive with it to make it more contrast. Um, but yeah, I would say for all of us coaches at the PI, like, yeah, we might lean towards that conjugate method, but at the end of the day, we're not so much of a, a principles type of team. We're more of like a systematic approach type of team. And then taking those methods or, you know, the periodization type and then adapting it to that person who I think might suit them better. You know, someone yeah. might someone might have a, a block periodization because that's going to work best for them for what they need. And then someone might have more of a conjugate. Someone might be in triphasic. Again, it's just kind of like why for that athlete? And why for this camp or why for this phase? And as long as we can answer that and keep it within our system as a strength and conditioning team, then I think we're doing the right thing by our athlete. hundred percent. It's as well as like, obviously, because it's so individualized as well, even though like you can have same athlete twice, they might respond completely different to certain stimuli. Is Nine that days. something that, yeah. How, have yeah. You, how do you sort of manage that and how do you go through all these type of little adjustments within the programs? 
yeah, I think that has to do with reassessing them, not being not being happy with the first results that you got. And of course, you know, if they're not remote and they're here locally, it helps a little bit more because I can truly look back to see how my programming affected them. And I can keep track of, all right, I did, you know, cluster sets of five sets of three or something like that, or, you know, three by five, if you will. And I can see how, how they felt without each week. Um, I can test them on the force plates, do a counter movement jump, do reactive strength index. Maybe I'm using velocity based methods to make sure I'm, I'm maintaining an output or an intent that I want. Um, and by having all that backlogged, it allows me to now go, all right, we have a fight coming up. How do you feel the last camp went? Any feedback on, on how you want this camp to go? And, you know, creating that autonomy with the athlete for them to give me feedback and then make sure I'm listening enough and, and applying that feedback into their next camp. Um, some of them are like, yeah, I felt great. I don't care. Do whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm here to, you know, maximize performance. And that's great, too. But I love when I get the feedback of, mm. yeah, I felt a little bit run down or, yeah, I felt strong. But, you know, something in there felt weird. And, you know, we're, we're both working at it together to find the details that we can make this next camp the best camp. And then the camp after that, that making weight would be the number one thing that would probably throw a wrench in everything. So yeah, <laughs> that's something that I kind of wanted to get into as well is like with the weight management and how they have to, to sort of stick to these strict guidelines. And obviously weight management is something that's widely talked about regarding combat sports in general and the, the, the amount that some athletes cut. How do you sort of prepare and make sure that the athletes that you're at least seeing locally are better suited for that drop? I mean, it's a, it's a team effort. Uh, again, we're fortunate enough. We have in the same office or the same spot that we are the nutrition team. Um, hopefully again, uh, our athletes here, they kind of have the autonomy to pick who they want to work with. So they could just be working with strength and conditioning. They could just be working with nutrition. Um, but, the ones that are, we can have the most influence on are the ones that work with everybody because mm -hmm. of then I can go over to nutrition and say, how do they look? Are they behind schedule? Are they ahead of schedule? Um, is there anything that I need to change in my programming to assist them in their weight cut? And if it's like, yeah, they're a big red flag. We're behind. We really need to change something up to make sure that they're losing the LBs, um, you know, the weight descent before we even get to fight week. Um, then that's something I'm going to make sure I change within my program. Um, there's been many a times where I'm, I'm just literally bringing my computer over to the nutrition team and I'm showing them what I'm doing for the day. And I'm like, all right, I can see a chance here where we can add some steady state cardio. Um, this day is a little bit harder of a push so they can get a grasp of what I'm doing. And then at the back end, they could be like, yeah, maybe on this day, let's bring it back because I want to either load them for their sparring the next day. I don't know. It's a, it's a big conversation. So mm. I'm fortunate enough to be like, all right, Nutrition team, if they're behind, you guys lead it. Tell me what to do, and I'll change it in my program. And then if it's a more of a performance athlete where they don't have to cut as much, let's say they're really close to their uh, weight class weight, then it could be like, all right, I kind of got the, the green light, and I can do whatever I need to to improve that performance a little bit more. How important for you is that communication between you and the rest of the team, and then how does that athlete play into that as well? So how crucial is it for you to have your athletes speak to these different types of uh, teams within the, the PI? To me, it's, it's everything, right? I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here to uh, use interdisciplinary 
approaches to help a singular athlete. And we have five different disciplines. And when you got five different disciplines, not even talking about the different uh, coaches or dietitians within the team, that's a lot of people looking out for you and, and trying to make sure that we're doing things right. And so for me, I'm, I'm a huge team player. I love feedback. I love getting ideas. I love communicating with whoever and just like applying what they say and, you know, making sure that this is what they're thinking of. Um, so for me on, as a coach, I'm like, yeah, this is what I want. This is the bread and butter. Like we're all working together. It's, you know, this synergy that's happening within the UFC performance Institute. And you're just like this for this one athlete. And, you know, hopefully it all comes together on the night they, they fight. But um, for the athlete, let's say they're with strength and conditioning. They've mentioned to me, yeah, I feel really fatigued during training. I've been sleeping. I've been hydrating. And then I just want to be like, all right, well, how's, how's your weight? How are you eating? And they might, you know, riff off some things, but they're like, yeah, but I'm not really consistent. And then that's a chance for me to be like, well, have you spoken to anyone in our nutrition team? Like they're here to help you. And, and that starts it all over again. All right, let's get the team together. Let's get everyone together and see what's going on. So uh, same could be said for PT with the rehab athlete or maybe an athlete who's been dealing with a chronic injury, right? What do you want me to stay away from? What do you want me to add? What are you guys doing over there? How can we help them to be their best for that fight night? And then it kind of all works together. So again, athlete based and athlete centered, I should say, and each individual athlete comes with their own personalities and their own different ticks. But I think that's also what makes it fun. Yeah. I think that's interesting that you say that because obviously every, every athlete's different and it's something that was sort of brought a little bit to light with the recent um, Super Bowl with Travis Kelsey and um, Coach Reed with where, where Travis Kelsey obviously shouted at Coach Reed's face. Yeah. And I don't think people understand the type of mentality and drive that you have as like to be an elite athlete. Like oh. we're not all wired the same. <laughs> <laughs> not at like, all. Energies run really high and it's something that like these, you're so invested in that one thing that you're sort of just like all your passion all pours and you can't, you, there's physically no way to control it with sort of the type of sport that MMA is very high in stress inducing and cortisol and all that stuff with management to your athletes. How, how have you found sort of maneuvering yourself through these different personalities and intensities of pers of uh, interpersonal sort of communications yeah honestly you kind of you, you hit it like it, it just depends on on the athlete what type of athlete they are um, you you bring in all the stress you bring in you know they're actually going to be locked in the cage to fight somebody that's that's highly stressful and then millions watching online millions watching in the arena whatever it may be like it is stressful and then to add on top of it, you're hungry. <laughs> you're cutting weight and you're hungry. And availability. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know for myself, when I don't eat, I get pretty cranky. So I can't imagine, you know, having the stress to perform, having all this and then being hungry on top of it. Like, yeah, we're going to deal with some pretty intense emotional roller coasters. Um, so the way I approach it is, you know, I try to just feed off of them. I, I I like to think I'm pretty good at reading on non-social cues or non, mm -hmm. uh, not a verbal cues. So, you know, the athlete walks in with their head down or, you know, whatever it may be, you kind of already have an inkling that, all right, they're not a hundred percent that day. Even though this is my athlete, I usually am like joking around with today. I might have to switch it up. 
So my first question, as I'm sure any SNC coach is, is how are you doing today? What's going on? You know, and then just by that one response, you automatically know how that day is going to be. And then it's up to you on the coach to match that energy in a sense, right? It might just be one of those days where it's like, all right, here's what we're doing. We're getting after it and let's be present in the moment. And then there's some other athletes, again, when they're, they're feeling great, let's say they had a full meal the night before, you know, we can joke around, we can have fun. I can, I can play fun at them a little bit more, but we're still staying locked in within our session. So it's just making sure you realize where your athlete is at within their camp, obviously who they are as a person before they even got in their camp and understanding that all the stressors are involved with it as well. Um, so I think for us and, and the coaches here, we just have to be highly adaptable. Um, mm. We have to, we have to match that energy as best as we can. And it gets pretty tough when, again, you have, let's say, three athletes on the floor. Two of these athletes are, are fighting in three weeks, so it has to be a pretty high energy. And then this other athlete is, like, not feeling good. They, they haven't eaten in a while. Right? They're cranky. So it's like, again, working over here on rack one, high energy, high energy, shift over to rack three. Now i got to be like, all right, here's what we're going to do next. You know what I mean? So it's like being able to switch that back and forth within just a moment. It gets pretty tough to do. And. You know, I think it just comes down to, to, I enjoy it. I love working with, yeah. I, I love being able to change up my communications and how I direct my coaching cues or how I direct my reasons why behind we do something. Um, to me, it's just all intriguing and, and I have a lot of fun doing it. hundred percent. And I think that's what makes a great coach is like this adaptability that and ranges that you have to have to it. Um, I will always swear by this conscious coaching is like my Bible for sort of how to deal with athletes because like it, it goes back to that thing do i feed them a shit sandwich or am i a bit nicer to them that day <laughs> for sure and what what um, do they need right yeah 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 exactly 100 so, so like for me it's like i've read that book cover to cover like three or four different times because like every time you read it there's something else that you pick up on it and i've, I've told this story on here before but it's like there's certain athletes that it takes them a while to let you in and you sort of break that barrier between them. But once you like, it could be the smallest of actions, but it meant something to them. They'll then go out of their way to, to say, appreciate you coach or give you a little fist bump or something. And that's how I've been able to build some of these relationships with my athletes as For well sure. as I've yeah. had, I had a coach, um, coach Sachin before, and he, he's, big conjugate guy so hey, let's go <laughs> yeah so like he, he broke down conjugate amazingly um but he essentially said that he because he's a, an introverted guy he actually went to acting classes to sort of know how to to sort of fit between these ranges with athletes so he felt like he was quite in himself but acting was sort of like you need to be three so from then on he was like three times for certain athletes and then he was like calm for other athletes i found that very interesting yeah um uh dr duncan french who's our 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 president here for the ufc performance institute he mentioned that you know you have to connect things to an emotion and Mm. that's what people will remember so whether it be uh you know a great congrats on on performing something great or having a high score on a test or whatever it may be connect that emotion to them and then the same thing on the back end if it's bad news 
right? They're going to remember it because it's connected to an emotion. So if we can always connect our communication to something that they will remember, feel good, or even feel bad because a shit sandwich might come in, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's connecting it to that and that's what they're going to remember. And hopefully at the end of the day, like you said, it's that we showed that we cared and we know we're, we're emotionally invested as well. So, yeah. hundred percent. Like I'm big into like showing off athletes achievements on my pages but like i've always made sure to be clear like it's not that i'm boasting about myself or what i've done or what i helped them with it's more that they achieved something they worked hard for it i never did the reps they Mm -hmm. did the rep so for me it's more of as well as like pushing my athletes to be like i i am here i'm one of your biggest supporters everything that you do reflects on what you did and what you worked for so for me, it's just like you kind of have to, to invest a lot of and not be scared to invest as well that relationship between you and them. Like Coach Mark once put it the best and he was like, the, the worst thing you can do for your athletes is be perfect because then they'll look at you as a robot yeah. and then they'll stop even trusting you. Mm. So if you fuck up or if you mess up, own up to it. They'll respect yeah. you a lot more for it. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. No, like, yeah. So for me, it's like I'm very honest with all my athletes, and I'm yeah. just like, that was good. Uh, oh, there was a a couple of weeks back, one of my athletes did clean for the first time in like a block. I, I we programmed the strength block, and he went back to to cleans. His first rep was terrible. I looked at him and I was like, what the fuck was that? He was like, ignore it. <laughs> Let's not talk about it. <laughs> but it's so true. Like you give them a little bit of honesty. Uh, you give them a little bit of imperfection, you know, you, you, you relate to them, you know, whatever it may be, it just keeps building that relationship. And I I totally agree with you on, on owning up and and being honest and all that. That's perfect. I love hearing it. With, um, different sort of camps and people that people bring in, how do you find communicating with these different types of teams that athletes bring in? Yeah, I feel like that's probably one of the hardest parts is, you know, um, you think about a a football team or a soccer team and they got the head coach and, you know, everything's very structured and organized and, you know, they know they know when they're supposed to be and where they're supposed to go. And uh, within MMA, depending on the coach or the camps that they're with, it could be very structured or it could be all over the place. Right. And not Mm -hmm. not in a bad way, all over all over the place in the sense that. Hey, so-and-so is training at this time. I know we were going to train at two, but he's a good training partner for you. Let's, let's go to that. Mm-hmm. And then the whole day is switched around. And so again, just depending on the camp, where they're doing the camp, are they doing their camp at the performance Institute? Are they going to other gyms to get more training partners, whatever it may be? Um, that's the hardest part is I feel like you might have a really structured camp. You might have a really not unorganized, but a camp that they're like trying to find you partners and, you know, get things organized. Um, I think another fun part about being here is that, you know, sometimes you get a full camp and they don't speak English. And then now Mm. it's like, okay, now how do I communicate exercises, my why, how do I communicate how they're feeling for the day? You know, it's a lot of thumbs up or thumbs down. Um, but you know, that, that to me is another fun challenge. It's like, all right, how can I best help this team or this camp, even though I can't speak uh, the same Mm. language as them? Um, so it can be any and all between, um, I do like when a camp comes into town and the fighter gets, you know, to bring their training partners and they're all training together. So it kind of makes it feel like a team environment, you know, 
it is a one-on-one sport. Once that cage closes, you know, it's just you and yourself and you got a question, did you do the work? Did you do all this? But when you have your training partners there with you doing it all, again, it's that support, right? And that connection that they all have. So I, I love when uh, UFC fighters bring in training partners and it gets to be more like a team aspect because mm. you can kind of just see that build, 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 and all of a sudden it's fight week and you can tell that that fighter's confidence is just like through the roof. Yeah, with training partners and sort of different teams that bring in with them, is that something that you just program for the athlete or is it like a team, does it then become like a team workout for them? So uh, I'll give one example. We had guys come in and they were like three of them were in the UFC and then two Mm. of them weren't. So yeah, we created like a a workout for all of them to do at the same time with maybe different ideas of who might need what. Um, But they were all kind of out of camp kind of thing. So it really wouldn't have to be as dialed in or individualized. They were just going to be here for the week. Um, We programmed for them. So it it was a fun team aspect. If it's one UFC fighter bringing in two training partners that aren't in the UFC, good luck to those training partners because they're going into whatever that whatever he's doing and whatever he has planned for the day. Um, you know, we'll modify as we need to. But of course, if it's some some hard conditioning at the end that we've been building up for three weeks and then their training partner shows up on week three, obviously, that's going to be probably our high week and they're they're going to be in it. So, you know, we'll we'll adjust and modify as we need to. But yeah, that's kind of fun as well. Cause then again, the fighter, he kind of gets to lead them a little bit more, create that culture mm-hmm. within their own team and everything like that. Nice. So it is more of a, like, it becomes like a team more practice. The partners will just have to sort of adapt to what the, the main athletes doing. Yeah. No, I like that. Cause I think for, for training as well as like, if, if you're sort of, the main focus and then your training partners are kind of getting isolated that athlete might be like oh well, i actually wish i was working with with my training partners as well like we're in this together yeah yeah and we've had some coaches come in and do the athletes workout as well and to me that's even even better right they get a little taste of kind of what we're doing and, and why we're doing it and you know how we can help their fighter um and then you know they kind of leave with all right that was awesome here's what they're doing either kind of how we look at all right here's how we can match it on the MMA side, or that gives us a chance to just depth in the conversation. Coach, mm. what do you see on the MMA side? And, you know, what do you think we can add in here that will, you know, increase his or her game? So it's it's a fun time when we get some coaches in here. Yeah. How important have you found that to be for athlete and coach buy-in? I think it's huge, right? I mean, anytime you get a chance to sit down with uh, the head MMA coach or whoever's leading that camp for that athlete, I think that's a great opportunity to just dive into the mindset of the coach or the mindset that they're relaying to the athlete. Because if I know that and what's motivating him throughout the, the fight, then I can take that information as well and start to relate the mm-hmm. SNC program back to that main focus. Um, so to me, to me, it's everything. Uh, I would say it doesn't happen as often as we would like to. Um, again, same, same reason. It's an MMA coach over there. They got, one athlete fighting this week, two athletes fighting the next week. They're going to be in Mexico, Brazil, wherever it is. They're traveling around as much as they can. So a lot of times it's like asking the athlete, what are you working on this camp? What's your coach saying? You know what I mean? And then that's how we can kind of create that conversation. 
But yeah, when we can actually hear it from the coach and they know we're listening and then, you know, they hear it maybe from the athlete that we're applying it, it just creates all that buy-in, all that communication, all that trust. And then again, it just creates a great camp. Yeah. With the amount of traveling that these guys are going through, what's the sort of hardest thing that you have to overcome with it? As far as like the fighters traveling or? Yeah, the the sort of getting their sessions and making sure that they're fit and obviously depending on time zones, the jet lag, how do you sort of help the athletes through these? Yeah. these... Um, so just depending on, on when they travel, um, most fighters will actually travel the Monday before they fight on the Saturday. Um, mm. I, I feel like that's just the way that the scheduling works. And then that's like a normal a training schedule. We're tapering the week before the fight and then you're into fight week and, you know, depending on the athlete, either we're not doing anything remotely or locally on that week, or we might be doing some cognitive skills or reaction drills or whatever it may be to help, you know, increase their, their neural function. Um, but uh, Mexico City, right, has a higher elevation than most places. So most of the fighters fighting on that card actually did leave about a month before. Um, and then it, it turns into a remote training program, right? How do I make sure that they're doing the right things at the right time? How do I make sure that they're doing this session before that session? And it, it's just making sure you communicate as best as you can. Um, but again, the moment they they step foot into the next country and their and their coach is there, their their coach has the the reins. So when he mm. wants to do mid session or when he feels like that fighter needs to go or maybe even that fighter what they feel like they need to do, then that's kind of what they do. And then it's you know we're supplementing on the back end. So here's a one or two things that you guys can do with the gym that you have there. Let's say it's a good gym or a bad gym. We're just trying to make sure that we can give them whatever information or whatever stimulus needed to make sure that whatever we did here locally will transfer and apply a month later into the fight. Yeah. How does sort of, how do you adapt to elevation demands and protocols for, for these athletes? I would say a lot of it has to do with uh, nutrition and supplementing properly, right? So our nutrition team does a great job of making sure that they're given the right supplements out and, and any fighter on this card has that available to them. Um, as far as us here at the PI, we can turn our, our lab into a hyperbolic chamber and then they can do some of their low intensity or maybe their intervals within there. Um, other than that, we have Mount Charleston. If you want to, you know, live high, train low, or or opposite, we we've kind of tried it all. Um, altitude tents, whatever it is, you know, fighters are always looking for that that edge that will help mm -hmm. them. And as long as we know the research and the science behind why you might do it, we're gonna do our best to do it and make sure that you know if it helps that one percent, we're gonna we're gonna try our best to do it. Hundred percent. I've uh, been fortunate enough. The trihypoxic uh, mask and chamber that was horrible. <laughs> like, like you end up having to time your breath to when you get that big puff, and I mm -hmm. like I think I it was an incremental test. I think I did what twelve minutes, and then I was just like, ah, I am good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So whatever the edge again, as long as it's, it's backed by science, we're, we're happy to try it out. <laughs> we tried the, what was it? It was an extract from a beetroot, beetroot extract. And we went in a chamber, a heat chamber. Um, I think I, I did 24 minutes in an incremental test, which was four minutes more than 
I did just normal heat tan. Oh wow! I found that okay. pretty nuts. Yeah. Insane. So it's like I like to experiment with myself as well. Like I think for an SSC program and coach to be effective, I personally like to do the workouts as well. Totally. If I'm recommending something, I'll have had to go through it. Yeah, I've I've done that recently where I'm like, man, this would be a great idea to you know add this here, and then I go. Oh. I have to do it. <laughs> You're like, dang it. Why did I think of that? Like, I, I think it's going to be great for my athlete, but now I have to try it. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Hands down. You have to try out what you're giving these athletes. Um, of course, the reason why we're giving it to them is, is always important, but like mm-hmm. for me to coach it, to understand it, you know, it, they, again, when I did it, it was this much, but when you're doing it, you're going to do this much because you're an elite athlete. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so again, showing my imperfections of, I'm not the tip top shape person, but you know, I'm, I tried it myself at least. I also think it helps with your coaching cues. Like you know, when it starts sucking, oh, like yeah. when it starts sucking, that's when you amp up the, the shouting or the motivational speech or whatever they sort of gets them into that next gear. Like yeah. I, I'm a firm believer of, I love to do 10, 10, 12s, four minutes of work, 10 seconds on 10 seconds off. Yep. And I, I usually go four times, but I'll change. I'll go in between a salt bike and erg, a ski erg. Yeah. And like for me, those four minutes are the worst four minutes of my life. But I know when that like when I need to start showing up people. Like, yes. Let's go. You've been wearing that tank. Let's 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 amp this. Yeah. Is that something that you find helps with your coaching as well? Hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, a lot of the the tests that our, you know, sports science team creates or that we create, we're the, we're the test rabbits. We're the ones trying it out. So when I'm like, yeah, this is the test we're going to try to do today. And I'm like smiling because I'm like, it kind of sucks, but you know, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to make sure that when you hit that sucking point that we're all going to be behind you, we're all going to be supporting you in that sense. Or I can literally describe like, Hey, I know your legs are burning right now. Let's drive through it. Let's just keep going. And, you know, you can describe what's happening to them and they could be like, oh, well, they done it. They know what it's like. So I'm going to keep pushing as well. So, yeah, I, I totally find it. Not only does it help them in that moment in the queuing, but it's that relationship, right? I went through it too. Maybe not side by side with you, but I definitely went through it. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. With sort of, we kind of touched on about it uh, previously, but with the sort of, demands of like the dropping weight and the energy availability what are some of the considerations that you go through to help your athletes with that reds and sort of dealing with their energy and how much expenditure they're having yeah again so fortunate to have this team so that when i'm second guessing my my program or when i'm second guessing you know can they push through this or can they not or you know i have a team behind me to say no, this is okay. This is, this is natural. You can kind of push or back off where you need to. So very thankful for this whole team to, to make sure I can have that type of feedback. Um, but yeah, when it, when it comes to reds or low energy availability, it's, it's just making sure how far away they are from a fight. If they're six weeks out from a fight and, and they're starting to feel these really intense, low energy availability, I think that is not sustainable, right? Six mm. weeks, is a long time. And that's when, again, I'll, I'll be able to bring the nutrition team in and hopefully get a better idea of, of is this normal? And they might be like, yeah, we're, we're, we're hitting it hard early because let's say it's a female athlete and they are projecting to have their period on fight week. 
And we know that allows them to retain water. So they're not going to be able to cut as much acutely through dehydrating themselves or so on and so forth that we kind of have to hit it hard in these first six weeks. And so that lets me know throughout this whole camp, I really got to change up of, of how I'm, I'm running it. It's not going to be as intense. Maybe it's going to be low intensity. Maybe it's going to be still lifting a good amount of weight in that sense. But as far as the cardiac system goes, like, or even the um, muscle skeletal system, like peripheral fatigue, whatever it may be, it might have to be something where I back off because those are, those are pretty high intense and then have some good residual fatigue. So I'm just trying to program things that might not have as much residual fatigue or mm. I'm trying to, trying to help them. Okay. When you're doing wrestling, what type of wrestling are you doing? Are you drilling? Usually wrestling is probably one of the hardest sessions of the week, um, even over sparring for some athletes. So I'm like, all right, I want to base everything around wrestling because <laughs> if mm. they're wrestling hard and they're not recovering enough and then they see me, there's no way I'm going to be able to get this out of them. So I got to just make sure I adapt it as best as I can. Um, but, you know, it's it's the sport. It's it's part of the culture, sadly. And, you know, not sadly, because it adds a whole nother a whole nother mm. layer to it that makes it that makes it really challenging and fun. Um, but at the same time, uh, again, this whole team makes it easy in a sense that I can just get constant feedback and making sure that what I'm doing is the right thing. And I think um I can never say that this one way is the best way, but I can always say, all right, this athlete, this time when they had to cut, they did have low energy availability. They were iron deficient, whatever it may be. They were super fatigued all camp. I wasn't able to push them. I just got to take that into consideration because sometimes I write this beautiful program and I'm like, yes, fight camp. Like this is killer. I'm so excited. Like, let's get into it. And then this fighter's like, yeah, I'm going down. I got to, you know, instead of 125, I'm going down to 115. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay. And then so now it's this whole different thing. So it's it's one of those things you just got to be as adaptable as possible. And if anything, I just kind of looked at, you know, what their technical training is and, and kind of what they might need from an energy system side and, you mm-hmm. know, try my best to to keep that low intensity or even lifting the volume kind of low, making sure that we're mitigating any hypertrophic effects that might happen within lifting. And we have, you know, isometrics, so there's no eccentric movement. We have, you know, uh, do your energy system first, strength after to have that interference effect. We have, after you lift, hop in the cold plunge again to have that interference effect to make sure that we're not gaining any more muscle. So mm-hmm. certain things like certain things like that, I might play around with my programming, but as far as like, the energy availability, the reds, it has to be a whole team conversation. Yeah. With sort of females, you kind of touched that. It also depends majorly on when they're they're falling in their menstrual cycle and when that period is about to hit. What are some of the, the things that you've sort of explored and looked into when adapting these programs? Yeah. So everyone's going to have a, a different symptom and everyone's going to have a different symptom when it comes to that particular period. So mm-hmm. the last period it was, yeah, I felt really fatigued. This period might be, I'm just, I'm hungry. You know what I mean? And so understanding maybe what are the commonalities of symptoms for one athlete um, and then kind of taking that into consideration. Um, I've heard plenty of athletes say like, yeah, the week before my period is is when I feel like I need to deload. And that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. And then And then the week of their period, is actually when they feel strong and, you know, they feel like they might have cramps or stuff like that, but they, they, when they actually do the movements, they're like, Oh, I feel strong. 
Um, and then it might be actually on period week of fighters like, yeah, I need to either take it easy or deload, whatever it may be. So that's what I'm trying to take into consideration is like, all right, either what is being affected within their period, strength, endurance, whatever it may be, it's going to be different per athlete. Um, when does that happen within their period? Is it, you know, in their early vehicular, late luteal, whatever it may be, like, you know, when are these hormone spikes and drops and, and how are they reacting to it? And, you know, we can't actually see the hormone spikes and drops, but, mm-hmm. you know, in a natural cycle, kind of where they should be. Um, and that's all we can do as best as we can is just kind of understand symptoms when they have those symptoms, where do they feel like that's affected? And if it's just, you know, not just, but when it's cramps and, you know, they can't even like get out of a, a bald position, mm-hmm. that's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we're, we're going to take it pretty easy today or just go, just go and recover. Right. But when they're in a camp and they got a fight coming up, that's not an option, <laughs> you know, and, and they need that mental release that they did everything they could for that day, even though they felt horrible because of their period. And so I just got to kind of trial and error throughout the whole session and figure out what I can and cannot do. Um, of course, I always try to take my experience into it. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. the week before the period for me is like no good. But during my period, for whatever reason, even though it sucks because I'm on it, I feel like I can usually push. And so um, I have some athletes who are really in tune with that. And then I have um, others who are just like, I don't give a shit. Like, let me just work through it and I'll figure it out. And you kind of roll with that as well. So as much as I would love to say, like I, you know, deload and reload and all that stuff, it's just totally dependent on the female fighter that you're working with and, and how and when they have those symptoms. Yeah. You mentioned something quite interesting and I'd love to get your take on it is you, you mentioned that some of them might actually feel worse during sort of cardio or strength or how do you sort of, identify that and then how do you adapt to to tailor for that yeah so if it's something where i know like yeah i just feel like you know we've kind of heard it before it's like when they're on their period is when the time their their ligaments are loose let's mm. say and more risk for injury and so if i hear an athlete already have that in mind there's already a higher chance of something like that happening so automatically i'm gonna take their weight way down because they feel like they're unstable they don't feel like they're strong enough so I just might take the weight down, grab a gym aware or something like that, get some velocity based training and said, yeah, we're not going to add load. But what I do need you to do is move this bar with some good intent behind it, at least. So if we're not going to add load, let's get something out of it this way. If it's the other way, like they're like, yeah, I feel like I can, you know, lift no problem. I just know that once I start to get out of breath, like, I don't know, I think I'll cramp up. And so that just might be one of those things where, yeah, I go, yeah, no cardio today let's put in a little circuit at the end. You know, we can make it a lower upper body peripheral circuit and, you know, get some, get some work that way. Cause that's how we kind of look at our energy systems. Anyway, we can look at it, the cardiac system, we can look at the musculature. So if they're worried about the heart rate getting too high and being out of breath, though the peripheral circuit still might get them out of breath, it won't be so much on the cardiac system and they can still feel like, all right, I pushed through something. I got something done. My heart rate didn't get that high as if I was running on the treadmill. Um, and then, you know, I can tell her that way. So it's just the best you can of what you got and, you know, talking to the athlete and even showing them like, mm. here's what we got for today. What do you think? You know, and I, I have yeah. some athletes that'll be like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Cool. Let's go. Or I have some athletes like I'm on my period and, you know, they don't care or whatever, but I, I know usually they're like, yeah, 
I don't like to lift or so on and so forth, or I feel this way. And even though they don't know it, I'm already adapting or modifying things. I think that's a good point is like questioning them and seeing how they feel. I think that communication is so important because I've currently got an athlete who she really struggles. Her, her period is very inconsistent. So mm. for us, what I've been trying to do is I, I gave her a period diary essentially where she's just before a session, she'll write down how she feels after the session. She'll write down how it feels, how does different stimuli sort of impact that? How, how did they feel during it? She unfortunately drinks a lot of monsters. <laughs> so for me, I'm like, let's try and cut down on that. <laughs> See if that, cause it's, it's said that caffeine kind of blocks that period. So if if we reduce that, how can we does that does that actually impact on on your flow? So for me, I'm just like let's cut down on on caffeine, see how you feel from yeah. that, see if they come down more regularly. So it's really having that communication, that openness to talk about it too. Like I always feel like an imposter. I, I mentioned my research area to you at the yeah. beginning. Um, obviously, I've never had one in my life. I don't know what it feels like. So for me, talking to to female athletes about it, I'm like. Do they actually give a shit? I'm talking about it. <laughs> Honestly, I, think- I know. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I know from experience, I love it when coaches used to ask me, or I still love it, the coaches now. Like, it just creates, a, it sounds silly, but like a safe space, right? Mm. I can at least tell you. I'm on, you know, it might be as blunt as I'm on my period, but I don't, I don't care. Like, let's go. Or, you know, it could just be a, a really good conversation with your coach. But no imposter. I hope no, no, no one feels that way. I, I know I appreciate it uh, when yeah. I was an athlete. Honestly, it's it's a very me thing. Like yeah. I feel like I'm an imposter because I've never had one, and like I'm talking to to female athletes about it as if I know everything about it. Um, but for me, it does create that sort of sense of safety where they can actually, if they feel mm-hmm. some type of way during it, I can be like, "That's fine. We'll just adapt whatever we're on. Like we don't have to to have a very intense week to this week. We can, I I, I can undulate. We're undulating today. That's fine." Yeah, exactly. And uh, I read somewhere, I'll have to remember where I read it, but uh, they created like a a red, yellow, green type of system. So if it was like a hard day, they can kind of pick, all right, I'm going to pick the lighter day. And if they felt a little better the next day, okay, maybe I'll push the red and they feel kind of medium, they can pick the orange. And then therefore, like your undulated program can kind of adapt to that day even more Mm -hmm. so. No, uh, 100%. And with with periods, they're they're so individualized to the the specific person that you cannot. It's not one size fits all, mm-hmm. and it's like the, the the other big misconception that I'm I really hate is that like when you spend so so long with females, they'll sink. It's not fucking Bluetooth. <laughs> like they don't fucking sink. Every athlete is different. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I still, I will still say it though. Honestly, I, I crack <laughs> up. I'm like, uh, who messed me up? Who got me off mine? You know, and you, you just have a fun laugh, and then of course it's like, who's alpha? Who, who is it? I'm kidding. <laughs> no, like, I, I, like I do get it, but like, it's funny. Yeah. But like for for like we, I always go back to like a team setting. Like you can't adapt the program to a specific no. athlete because they'll all be in different different areas of their their cycle. Um. So for me, it's like I'm essentially trying to create this 
program where athletes have some option on where they land and what they can do. So like have a reserve program essentially for when they're on. They're still working out with the team. They're still doing similar movements, but the intensities might be dropped or different. Right, right. I love that. Yeah. Team setting makes it a little bit more difficult for sure. 100%. But like, I also think the different types of ranges, and you'll have found that with Division One and sort of now more individual private setting type workouts is because everyone demands and needs different things that you're constantly just having to like, adapt and be pulled in a million and one different directions absolutely you've mentioned this and i love talking about vbt so how do you use it and where where do you mostly apply with the different type of sport not sports but combat and athletes yeah um within our our tier ones we we use force plates um for like a load velocity profile and then whether that shows that their lower body is force or velocity deficient. Um, usually when they're velocity deficient is when I want to apply that velocity based training. So whether that be at heavier loads or lighter loads, now it really speaks to them because I already showed them like, Hey, during your jumps, your force output is great. Your velocity output we need to work on. And so it really starts to connect the dots why we do our diagnostics and then really dives into why we do it within our training. So I can even pinpoint specific targets for them. You know, as we know, we can look at uh, speed, power, power, strength, power, whatever it may be. Um, and again, depending if it was towards the heavier loads of their jumps or the lighter loads of their jumps, it can kind of help what, which spectrum you work with. Um, another diagnostics we do here is like a, a half kneeling jammer punch. And that helps us figure out, again, mm-hmm. kind of their velocities. And we do an unloaded, a 10%, a 20%, and a 30% of their body weight. And hopefully we kind of see that velocity drop. So now when I go into my program, I already have their upper body peak velocity that they can produce on right hand and left hand. And I got their lower body load velocity profile and I can really try to match those two things together. So if um, we talked about earlier, looking at those strength classifications and both of those movements, the counter movement jump and the jammer punch would be like a fast dynamic strength. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, not even looking at to see if they're strong enough, if we want to work on with the velocity base, or even if we want to use it for strength metrics, we can, but I'm just going to kind of roll down the road of velocity deficient. So if they're velocity deficient, we want to improve their absolute speed and, and, or their speed per kilogram of them. And how we term that is just Watts per kilogram. Um, but, um, and then we can also look at repeatability to maintain that speed. So if I'm doing that same jammer punch, and they hit, you know, 2.3 meters per second with 10% of their body weight on the jammer, then I can say, okay, but we got to repeat that 15 times. And now we're working, you know, power endurance, upper body endurance, and it's related directly back to their sport, their ability to throw high amounts of volume within one round. And so that's how one way we can really target that and, and go down that road. But what I would say for the most part, we use it to drive intent and to make sure Mm. we're getting what we want out of them. So we can use it for someone who we do want to add a good amount of strength to them. And we can have, you know, that meters per second be 0.5 to 0.6, whatever it may be. And if it's faster than that, we add load. It's lower than that. We got to decrease it. Um, And with a lot of our fighters, with it being a weight class sport, 
I think they're worried to put on weight and mm. or they're worried to lose speed. And so we can kind of create a little bit more buy-in, even though we're, we're targeting strength. When we have that velocity thing in front of them, they feel like they're working on speed. And so it's just another way to kind of relay that message like, hey, we don't have to be slow, heavy lifters. Let's lift a moderate amount of weight pretty fast. And, you know, yeah. and, that's, and that's what MMA is, right? They have an opponent. Sometimes they got to lift their opponent up. Um, when it comes to striking, it's definitely more of that velocity. But um, I would say for the most part, we we love to use them for clusters to see if their output or their velocity drops. Um, we, we used to do like a landmine punch for our upper body test. And I would say we probably still use that within training just to kind of, again, get some intent behind it. Um, but any which way we can, we're, we're trying to use it. Um, one thing we're trying out now is <laughs> 20... 20 jumps at 40% load of your body weight. And we're kind of taking that from their loaded counter movement jump as well. So if they did their whole loaded counter movement jump and found their peak power, which is usually around 30 or 40%, we're taking that 40% and you're going to jump 20 times and see right. if you can maintain that. And again, that just brings us back to our whole spectrum. It's like we have our absolute power. Great right? It's not baseball where I get one swing, it's five minutes of punching. So then I got to look at the endurance aspect. And that's kind of why we, we started to add those type of, all right, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Cause that's essentially what MMA is. Yeah. You mentioned something quite interesting and it's something that for combat athletes, a lot of people don't consider this to be a factor, but it's that powerful uh, power endurance. How can you sort of explain what that is and what are your sort of go-tos to build that? Yeah, so for, for us, power endurance um, would probably be more of like a muscular fatigue or looking at your output. So I'm just going to use a simple sprint or a sled push. If you're able to push that sled 30 yards in six seconds, your output is 30, 30 yards. And if we were to do that one time, no problem. Um, if we were to do it multiple times, let's say 10, how much does that output drop? And we can look at fatigue index to kind of help us look at that. Um, but is it a 30% drop? Is it a 10% drop? Is it a 20% drop? If we're closer to that 30%, we got a lot of work to do. If it's closer to that 10%, we might be all right. But um, power endurance to me is the body's ability to resist fatigue at that movement. So again, when we're looking at jumps or we're looking at repeat takedown ability, those can kind of match each other. It's, it's very similar in the sense of lower body output. Um, and that's how we're kind of terming it right now. Even though it's 20 jumps, I know you're not going to do 20 takedowns, but you add a takedown, a scramble, uh, an exchange, and then back to a takedown. Yeah, those 20 jumps are going to relate back to, to how your body resists that fatigue. Um, and then some of our, our go-tos, I would say, is definitely our, our, our clusters, like you can break it down in any ways you want to, but you can look to do um, a high volume power training type of style where you're getting 15 total reps broken up by five, rest, five, rest, five. And then we're able to maintain a higher output by having that intraset rest in between. Um, so you're accumulating or your uh, capacity to do the output over and over again is increased. Or you can do 15 reps straight and, and see how that affects it. So that would be more like your your power endurance that probably most people think about. 
Um, we've also looked at it in the sense of within a circuit. So if we're doing, you know, a trap bar jump, and then we go into um, a sled push or something like that, where it's like the same, you know, emphasis as far as the lower body or upper body and repeating it, even though it's different exercise, you're still repeating it five reps here, five reps there, five reps here. And at the end, you're getting a total of 25 reps for the lower body in a similar plane of motion, let's say. Um, for the mm. upper body, we've had a lot of fun, like doing a lot of carries and then adding some egg weights to it, um, having them shadow box. So we're getting the upper body peripheral fatigue and, you know, creating circuits like that. And so um, I think we're, we're trying a lot of new things. And one of our new gadgets that's really helping us guide this is we got uh, the train reds, the... Uh, you can look at the muscle skeleton to see oxygen saturation and depletion. And so we can kind of see how big of a hole we're creating through our circuit or through our prescriptions to see if we're targeting that specific thing or not. Yeah. No, um, no I, I, I've also used Moxie quite a lot. I don't know if you've, you know, do you, have you seen Moxies before? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what we had. I think right before we got a couple from train red. Nice. Like I, I love, moxies like that's what we had at uh, my university and like you can see the recovery rates of that oxygen pumping through the the, the muscle again and it's like and, and how quick that can drop i did the uh, 10 10 12s with them on in the heat chamber and i was like you can you can see how quick that dips but like the the most efficient uptake of that oxygen pumping back through that's when you've got a good energy system to, to keep replenishing and up power up through. Right. Because your ability to repeat those 20 jumps or even just five, 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 if it crashes down, cool, your body's able to give you the energy you need to supply that output. But when you have mm -hmm. that 10 seconds rest, how much does that go up? That's the important part. Yeah. It's, it's been really fun. They're, they're relatively new to us. So we're still trying them out and I'm, I just know I'm having a blast. Like, <laughs> poor, poor athletes i'm like let's see how far we can go <laughs> but it's uh it's awesome no 100 percent. i think because like it's a performance institute like you are having to to pioneer quite a lot of this thing to give out to athletes in general but then that's how the the sort of community then builds up their their knowledge base as well i i find this stuff fascinating yeah we're, we're having a lot of fun with that and i think you know within just the whole performance institute at least for me that's like what motivates me it's how can we elevate MMA? How can we elevate each department? And then how can we share this, these best practices to everyone so we can elevate MMA as a sport altogether? Um, I, I think that to me is just every day I come in here and I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> um, what would be one piece of advice that you'd give certain new strength and conditioning coaches wanting to to break through this industry? Oh man, I feel like there's so many that goes through my head. I know someone who used to listen to Ron McKeefrey's uh, Chalk Talk as well. Um, you get so many different advices. And I, honestly, for mine, it's just, you know, put the work in um, wherever that may be, um, put the work in and, and show you're passionate. There's been so many times where I've had conversations, you know, with people who have either applied uh, for the internship here or have not, and they haven't done any research about mm. what they're applying to. And to me, that shows that you didn't put the work in, right? You, you really didn't want to come here. Um, but for someone who, you know, may not even be applying for a job that just show up, you know, be on time, work your butt off, 
uh, be you, of course, your personality is going to be what takes you further than anything, who you are as a coach and who you are as a person and your values is also going to bring you far. But yeah, I know for me, there's probably much more I can list off, but the work ethic and, and all that is, is to me what, what comes out the most. 100%. Coach Mark was on the podcast and he he's he's a very honest guy like what you see is what you get mm-hmm. and being under his program he's got like this um Ron McKeefe's university where it's like a w- whatever duration you're in for his internship you've got dedicated hours that it's educational so like for us it was like one to two hours a day after practice we would sit in the in the conference rooms and sort of go through like lifting progression, exercise development, um, snatch, clean, um, time management, uh, just like anything to do with coaching and how you sort of build up your program. But for him, he was like, I've had people drop out and at the end be like, you you showed me that this wasn't the industry for me because I did the program and I was like, I'm not, that's not what I want to do because He's just, he's just very honest with it. Right. I love that. I, I really, I believe in that too. Like, you know, and if you don't want to do it, that's fine. You don't want to be an SNC coach. At least you found out through this internship versus getting further in your career and, you know, potentially whatever, all of a sudden you've been 10 years in and you realize this is something that you never wanted to do. I don't know, but yeah, I, I really do agree that it's like, if, if, if you get into it and you know, you're, you're wondering if this is for me or not, go for it a hundred percent. And at the end of it, if it's not for you, all good, you know, all good, all good. But, you know, hopefully you get into it and, you know, you get as fired up as we do. And, and we just get really excited about all the little things, whether it be trying a new exercise, reading a new article, whatever it may be. But yeah, that's, that's really cool. I love to hear uh, other programs and stuff like that, that really help guide new incoming coaches to better themselves, whether it be again, outside of SNC or how they might be better within SNC. hundred percent. Thank you so much for coming on and sort of sharing your knowledge and the, the stuff that goes on in the PI. Um, is there anything that you kind of want to shout out and sort of talk about what you've got coming up? Honestly, we, I feel like we always have something coming up at the PI. Um, but I'll always shout out the team over here. Um, if you guys ever get a chance to hear anything that we're doing at the PI, it's something that we put a lot of passion into. Um, and I hope that you would see that we all have shared it or acknowledge it online and stuff like that. But um, big things that are coming up, hopefully we'll, we'll officially have a website. It's been a long time coming. And within that website, there'll be a, a teachable where we'll have um, mm. courses and education and that's not just on the snc side that'll be for sports psychology sports science uh physical therapy so it'll uh, mma it'll be for everyone so um hopefully by the end of this year you'll get to see something like that so that'll be a big lookout yeah i'll i'll love to have you back on when that stuff comes out so we can go through and talk about it that'd be killer yeah yeah that'd be awesome i'll you're a bit modest so i'll show you i'll show everyone your instagram as well where they can or connect with you and see what you've got going on as well. You got it. I'm not the biggest Instagram person. You'll see it like one or two posts a year, but uh, my story, it makes it easy for just a reshare. So apologies if it's not as busy as most. Nah. <laughs> it's all good. Like, the thing that people don't understand is like, because we're constantly on the go and making th- these programs, 
our social media skills suck. <laughs> so bad. I know it's another platform to get yourself out of there, but you know, it's tough. Hundred percent. Like I've got this podcast and I'm terrible for posting about it. Like I'll I'll I've got the thumbnails and I've got like the advertisement and the clips and everything. Like between coaching this, like my job, I'm just like, this is too much. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot for sure. No, I appreciate you for coming on and thank you for sharing your knowledge and sort of being here. Yeah, thank you, Manny. It was a great time. Appreciate you. Peace. Thank you.